We are in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. Please stand for the reading of God's word. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Good morning. Good to see you. Happy fall. If you weren't here last week, uh, great to be with you every Sunday. We are this fall continuing a series that began this summer, where this summer we looked at what does it look like to cultivate a rich inner life with God, this life of joy, gratitude, closeness to God. And now this fall we're looking at what does it look like to have that inner life spill out into our outer lives in the world around us, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our friends, in our communities, in our cities. And so that's what this, this fall is about, is how do we reach out to a world um, that is broken, that, that needs love, that needs service, that needs truth. And we're starting this series with a couple big, kind of just big picture ideas for the first couple weeks, and then we'll get into specific contexts where we have the opportunity to love and serve those around us. So last week we started this fall series, and we looked at the mission of Jesus himself, that he had this passionate mission to love and serve and minister and teach those around him. We asked, what would it look like for Jesus followers today, 2,000 years later, to continue in the mission of Jesus? This morning, we look at another big picture idea, a very familiar one to many of us in this room, this idea of what our identity is in the world as Christ followers, this identity of salt and light. So I'm going to walk you through this passage today. Uh, A little context here. This is the Sermon on the Mount, which most of you have heard of. Uh, This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, According to Matthew, he's in Galilee and he's gathering disciples around him, followers, and crowds are very interested in his miracles and his healings. And so you have this group of people gathered that consist of disciples and the crowds and probably some of the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples, these people who he's called out of their normal lives to come and follow him for three and a half years of his public ministry. He begins with the uh, Beatitudes in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And then he goes into this identity in verse 13 as salt and light. These two very concrete, tangible metaphors for what our role in the world is to be. So I'm going to walk you through these uh, fairly briefly today. First metaphor is salt. Anybody like salt? Yes, okay. Verse 13, you, Jesus says to his followers, are the salt of the earth. The implication here, let's run with the metaphor. The world is like a slab of meat, okay? The world's a slab of meat. And you, my followers, are salt sprinkled into that meat and rubbed into that meat for a purpose. Okay, in the first century, salt had two functions. The first is the one that we think of today. Uh, salt 
has taste and flavor, a very distinct flavor. Things without salt don't taste very good. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, you know, the world is bland without you. It is flavorless. You give the world its, its zest, its kick, its taste, its flavor, its life. That's what you, why you exist in the world. Now, the other function of salt that we don't have as much today is salt was a preservative, right? Okay, this is pre-refrigeration. So meat doesn't last very long if it isn't cold. And salt was the, the main preservative in the ancient world. And so there the metaphor is this. The world is a slab of meat, and it is in the process of decaying and rotting. But you are spread out. You are rubbed into the meat to bring health and wholeness, to bring life and healing to a world that on its own is going to move towards decay and rotting. I showed you a map last week of Orange County, right? So let's just put this in today's context, saying Orange County, it's a slab of meat. (laughs) It's got some good things. It's got some bad things. But you... Followers, this is here's our addresses uh, pinged in here. You are salted throughout Orange County. You are rubbed into the life of Orange County. You exist to bring flavor, to bring zest. You exist to bring healing, to bring wholeness to something that otherwise will not be whole. All right, that's the first metaphor, salt. Second metaphor, another basic one, light. Look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. No more basic metaphor than light and darkness, right? When we think of light, we think of guidance. We think of truth. Uh, we think of life. There's, without light, there is no life. And Jesus says of himself, he says, I'm the light of the world. And I think it's pretty amazing that he then says to his followers also, you are the light of the world. Inasmuch as you follow me and believe in me, you're also the light of the world because my light is going to shine through you, I assume, is what he means there. Now, in the first, first century, okay, we're, this is pre-electricity, right? No electricity. When the sun goes down, things get dark, okay? So if you are traveling by night through the countryside of Galilee, uh, it's a dark, unless there's a you know, full moon out, it's a pretty dark experience. And everyone in that time would know the experience of, of traveling at night and then coming up over, over a ridge and seeing a town all lit up with its torches and, and candles off on a hillside. And that's what Jesus is saying. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. That's the image he's giving of his, of his followers. So here the image is the world. Let's go back to our picture. The world uh, is full of darkness. There's a lot of people that are fumbling around trying to find their way through life. And you, my followers, are the light. You are the ones that will bring life, that will bring guidance, that will bring truth into situations where there's confusion, where people are, are trying to figure life out. Salt and light, very basic, (laughs) but a pretty amazing identity in the world. It's it's an amazing privilege. It is an amazing responsibility. Jesus, that is is your role. That is your identity in the world, salt 
and light. Uh, there's a phrase that's been really helpful for me in this conversation. Salt and light, very familiar for most of us. Uh, Tim, I think Tim Keller coined this phrase. I tried to trace it back. That's as far as I could get it back. It may be Jesus himself. I'm not sure. Uh, but he's got a phrase that I, that I really appreciate. And it's this phrase, that we are to be a counterculture for the common good. A counterculture for the common good. On the one hand, we're to be a counterculture, right? We, we're to, Jesus is saying here, you're supposed to taste different. You're supposed to look different. Your values ought to be different than the rest of the world. Your priorities, your relationships ought to be different. A counter culture. And that, that seems to be Jesus' main point with this salt analogy. Look at the salt analogy again. You're the salt of the earth, but this part. But if the salt loses its saltiness, its distinct flavor. How can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled underfoot. Okay, I've never had salt become unsalty. Uh, but if my salt ever become, became unsalty, I would throw it away, right? The minute it loses its, its distinct flavor at that kick, it doesn't serve a purpose. And so Jesus is saying, you need to be a counterculture. You have to have this distinct flavor, distinct set of values from the rest of the world. The, the, the minute you lose that distinction, you lose your role in the world. And this is always a danger for the church, that we lose the sense that we're a counterculture. And I would suggest this is a particular danger for the church in America in 2017. I was reading this quote this week. Here's the danger for the church. Rather than living as a countercultural community that bears witness to the coming kingdom of God, many of us go with the cultural flow, thoughtlessly consuming the products, the ideas, and the aspirations streamed for us in an unending flood of retweets and Facebook likes. Right? Thoughtlessly consuming the products, ideas, and aspirations of, of the culture. That the dangers, we lose that sense of we are different. We look different. We taste different. And just, I, I don't think I need to say this, but by, by counterculture, uh, I'm not saying uh, we need to create like a Christian subculture. I'm not talking about some superficial change where we all wear like Christian shirts. You know, we all listen to Christian music and we all put Christian bumper stickers on our cars and, you know, we all speak Christianese, that, that kind of thing. That's sort of this superficial distinction with the culture. We're talking about something that's much more profound than that. <laughs> Okay, ultimately we're talking about the radical transformation that can happen in a human heart when God grabs a hold of your life. Okay? Like these, these fishermen that Jesus said, hey, you're leaving your fishing behind. Come and follow me. When someone experiences the call of God on their life and they answer that call, when, when we begin to encounter the grace of God in our life and we see it, and his spirit begins to move in our hearts and realize, oh my goodness, you love me no matter what. We sang that song, Good, Good Father. You, you love me. You're, you're there for me. You died for me. You're working in every hard thing I'm going through, ultimately for my good. You will never leave me. You will never forsake me. When, when the gospel, when that gospel grips a person's life, and, and that fundamental posture of I want to control my life, my own life, that gets broken by God's grace, and we start going, God, my life is yours. Like, I want to I 
I want to live for you. I want to work in my job for you. I want to love my spouse for you. I want, to, I want to engage my neighbors for you. My life is yours. And when his spirit starts to work things in our lives, it starts to produce the fruit of the spirit. Things like love and joy and peace and patience. These things that are not natural to the human heart. When God starts to do that in us, that's the kind of counterculture I'm talking about. To, to bring this back to our, our summer series, here's ultimately what I'm talking about in this counterculture. Right? This rich inner life that God wants to produce in us as we pursue him, as we respond to his call, as his spirit forms his, his, his fruit in us. Okay, that's a counterculture. As that, and, then, and then as that grace then, then moves out into the world, that's, that looks different than what the rest of the world is generally doing. So that's what I'm talking about by counterculture, salt and light. But it's not just a counterculture, uh, as Jesus and as Keller are saying. It is a counterculture, but for the sake of the common good. Meaning, we don't just pull away from society, obviously. We, we don't just create our own little subculture and isolate ourselves and live our own lives off on the side. No, the reason we're different is precisely in order to bless the world. In order to make a positive impact on the world. And that seems to be the main point in Jesus' light metaphor. Right? It's for the common good. Look at verse fifteen or 14 again. You're uh, the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 15. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. No, instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Do you say life, uh, light is created to shine into darkness. No one would ever light a lamp and then cover it with something. <laughs> the purpose of the light is to bring that light to the whole room. And this is what Jesus is saying. Is you're supposed to be st- distinct, but for the sake of the world, not for the sake of yourself. Don't isolate yourself. No, no, no. Your distinction is there to bring light to others, to bless, to illuminate for the rest of the world. And that's, of course, another danger for us, right? The danger of the church is one danger is that we stop looking different. We just get absorbed into what the world is doing. The other danger is that we we isolate ourselves and we withdraw from the world for whatever reason, either because it's just easier just to be with people that think like us or... um, I don't know, it's just more comfortable or whatever. But that is a danger for the church as well. That we just pull away from society, we do our own thing. And it's a particular danger these days because the church is so big now. <laughs> we can actually just be with Christians all day long. We, we, don't, we almost, some of us, don't have to interact with the world that much. The church is large enough that it can be its own little ecosystem. Especially if we work at churches. Okay? <laughs> we can spend our entire days with Christians. And of course, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. No, I want you out in the world. I want you being salt and light out in the world. Salt and light, a counterculture for the common good, both are important. The church goes wrong when it loses either one of these. And when both of these are happening, it can be this incredibly beautiful presence in the world. And of course, Jesus himself models this beautifully, right? I mean, he was a one-man counterculture. For the common good. This rich inner life with his heavenly father. That then spilled out. And people saw it. And they said this guy looks different. This guy tastes different. Some of them said we don't want anything to do with him. Others said 
we need this. We want this. All right, that's just high-level stuff that we've all heard before. So I, I want to just explore a little bit this morning. What, 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 let's think about the context where we can do this. And um, that's what we're going to be doing all fall is thinking about how do we live as salt and light in the world? How do we live as a counterculture for the common good? So I want to just give you a couple of examples of this. Uh, not even examples, more just things for you to be thinking about, different contexts for you to think about. How can I be salt and light? And there's different ways you can think of this. One way would be just to think individually as, as yourself in your own life. How is God encouraging you to be salt and light, a counterculture for the common good? So let, let's just start. I'm going to just have you think about your own life. I want you to start with where you live. Okay? So I want you to think of the street you live on or maybe you're in an apartment complex. But I want you to picture it in your mind. It's a slab of meat. Okay? There's some good things about it. Uh, there's ways that there's darkness there. There's ways that it tends towards decay. What are those ways? Maybe, maybe your street you look at, and there's just a lot of isolation. Like there's no community on your street. People come from work, right? They open their garage door. The car goes in. The garage door closes, and that's all you see of that person. Maybe that's your kind of community vibe. Uh, maybe there's these little squabbles in your community about like, you know, roof heights and view obstructions, things like that. What's the, what is the culture of your street? And in light of that, what does it mean? What would it mean for you to be salt and light? What would it mean to have a counterculture? Maybe, maybe in your street, it's, I want to be someone who's trying to create some community here. I want to invite people. Wow. Novel idea over for dinner. Um, I'm not going to play into those little squabbles. What would it look like for you? In light of the, the, the particular ethos of your community, what would salt and light look like there? Or let's take uh, work, okay? Think about your, your work. I know some of us don't have a traditional job in this stage of our lives, but uh, picture what, whatever you think of as work. What does that look like for you? It's a slab of meat. Okay, where's their darkness? Where's the decay? Are, are you part of a, a corporate culture that is like dog eat dog, where it's just bottom line thinking and people are just charging? Is that, is that the ethos of your work culture? Um, are you part of a, a culture where people get together for lunch and just have this very cynical attitude about the politics of the job? Um, is, there, is there banter? that goes on in your office space that is not particularly salty, or it is very salty, depending on how you want to say that. <laughs> what is the ethos? In, in, in light of that, what, what does salt and light look like? For you, is salt maybe just a little bit of love and like human compassion in the midst of a very fast-paced culture? Or is it a, a hopeful outlook on things? Or is it... Um, not, you know, playing into some of the, the unsalty speech. What does salt and light look like there? Uh, <laughs> last week I showed a picture of the 405 in uh, rush hour, right? Freeway is a slab of meat. It tends towards darkness and decay. Okay. <laughs> what is salt and light on the freeway? Does our Christian faith have implications for how we drive? Yes, it does. <laughs> What does a little bit of human kindness look like on the road? A little bit of patience. Uh, 
Uh, what about your, uh, your social media outlets? What is the culture of the social media outlet? There's a lot of anger out there these days. Don't know if, you, if you guys know that, a lot of anger. A lot of people shouting some things online because they don't feel like they could actually shout it in someone's face, but it's easier to do it online. Uh, but there's a culture of, of people not listening to each other, people shouting at one another. Uh, there's also the whole just sort of vibe of I present a glittering image of myself on Facebook and Instagram, right? All these just beautiful pictures of what we are doing all day long that make other people feel terribly insecure about their own lives, unintentionally most of the time. But what, what is salt and light in light of whatever your engagement, what, what does salt and light look like there? What's a counterculture? I have this dream, I haven't done it yet. I have this dream of starting an Instagram account where I, all I post is these like slightly off pictures of me and my family, you know? And, and like, not even like the bad ones where like the spaghetti's all over the baby where it's obvious what you're doing, but it, it has to be, it has to go like unnoticed, like, oh gosh, everyone's eyes are kind of closed in that picture or that's a weird picture of having him on the couch and the room's really messy. Just these slightly off pictures that, that, that people leave going, gosh, Dave lives an entirely mediocre life. You know, that, that kind of, I think that's salt. That's salt and light, you know? Leave people feeling good about themselves. Uh, another way we can think of this is, we can think of this corporately, uh, not just as individuals, but as a group, as a church together. And this is, I'm not going to spend much time talking about, but this is actually one that caught me for the first time uh, Readings, I have always thought through salt and light individually. I've always thought of this individually. And what I had not picked up is Jesus is probably speaking more corporately than individually. The reason I say that, because in the light metaphor in verse 14, his image is of a city on a hill can't be hidden. His image is, is someone coming across and seeing all these lights, which I assume is the community of God, the followers of Jesus Christ, together. Of course, later in Jesus' ministry, he says that to his disciples. You guys need to love one another. This is how the world will know that you're my disciples, is that you love one. It's, it's, your, it's your relationships together, your fellowship. That is how you are light. When the fruit of the Spirit's playing out dynamically in your relationships. And so this is another way to think through, gosh, how can we be salt and light together in the world? What are the, the projects that we can do together in our cities that we can't do it individually. Or, or it could be as simple as what can your, your home group, you know, how can your home group be salt and light? Maybe it's, hey, we're going to throw a block party at our street, but we're also going to invite our home group. And so people are going to see us, but they're, all gonna, they're also going to see us with our friends interacting. And hopefully they see a love and a, a graciousness and a, a joy together that is something that, is, that blesses them. So we can think about it corporately. And then one other one I want to mention we can also think about it on a broader level, culturally, is how can the church be salt and light in the larger society, in the larger culture? And this is what the church has always done really well when it's at its best. It's been this source of cultural renewal and influence in society for good. Uh, just to remind you, some of the great institutions of our society were founded by Christians. We forget this. Universities were started by Christians from a Christian worldview, okay? Hospitals, libraries, so much of the arts done by Christians historically. And some of the great social movements in our nation were spurred on by Christians. The abolition movement first in England and then in America. 
mainly Christians operating from a Christian worldview. Civil rights movement, largely Christians operating from a spiritual worldview. Foster care, adoption, all the ministry to poor and needy. If you go to developing worlds today and you ask who is doing work with human trafficking, who's doing work with clean water, who's doing work with the AIDS crisis, it is disproportionately Christians doing that work. And we should not be surprised by that. So all that to say, there's, there's different ways we can do this. And some of us will think more along the lines of individual life. Some of us will think more along the lines of cultural life. That's the beauty is there's freedom to do this how we want. Uh, I want to read a, uh, a read. I, I want to uh, note a, a book that I read last year. Those of you that are in the Axios uh, men's ministry will be reading sections of this book this year called Good Faith. Subtitled, Being a Christian When Society Thinks You're Irrelevant and Extreme, which is worth the read itself right there. Um, but what I loved is the, the authors is co-authored, and, and they suggest as Christians being salt and light, looking at society, there's certain questions we ought to be, just basic questions we ought to be asking about our society, and then we can answer those in ways that help us to be salt and light. They suggest four questions. Let me just run you through this real quickly. First questions Christians can be asking, what is wrong? What is, what is broken about our society? To use the analogy, what is decaying? What is, where is their darkness? We should be asking that question. And there's a lot of obvious answers. Uh, one really obvious one that I kind of already mentioned is, you know, we've got this, this political discourse and rhetoric in our nation right now that has reached a new low. And as Christians, we have an opportunity to say, no, that, that's wrong. That's not the way it should be. And then to try to be salt and light, to try to offer an alternative in our political speaking, whether online or in person. Colossians 4, 6. Apply this to how you talk about politics. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to become angry. Okay, we don't leave behind those values when we start talking politics, right? Or we shouldn't. That's an opportunity to be salt and light. But there's other questions that we can be asking as salt and light. And I think it's important because I think increasingly in America, Christians are known for asking this question, right? If you ask the world, what do you have, what, what problems do you have with Christians? Most of them say, Christians are so judgmental. They're always telling us what's wrong with us. And so I think there's other questions to be asking that are, that are important. How about this one? Uh, what's right? <laughs> what is right about society? And this is the fun one as Christians. We can look out of the world and see, you know, there's so many good things happening out there by people who don't bear the label Christian, and yet they're still doing good work in the world. And we as Christians ought to be the first ones to celebrate that, affirm that, cultivate it, and say, yes, that is beautiful. That's a good thing. That, that's, that is in line with God's values. There's all sorts of unsung heroes out there doing that kind of work. I think of the arts in this one. I mean, there's, there's movies that come out all the time that are not explicitly Christian, but that are beautiful stories of redemption or of capturing the human heart. And Christians ought to be the first to jump on board and say, that's good. That is, yes, that is right. And we have a, a deep reason why we believe it's right. How about this one? Another question. What is confused in culture? If there is darkness, it means that people are fumbling around and trying to find their way. Um, I think of this new sexual revolution that we're a part of in the last five years. 
okay? And so much uh, confusion about what, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be fa- female? I, I think this is an opportunity for the church to provide clarity where there's confusion. Say, so, well, this is, this is, here's God's story. Here's his narrative. And here's how this fits within that narrative. One more. What's missing, they say. And this is one where Christians get to use their imagination. And, and we have uh, a privileged spot here because we know how the story ends. We know that one day Christ returns, new heavens, new earth, the kingdom of God will come. And we have glimpses in the scriptures of what it will look like when his kingdom comes, this beautiful picture. And so from that vantage point, we can, we can look at the world today and go, gosh, what's missing? There's so many things missing, but we can imaginatively bring the values of that future kingdom into our lives and say, what would it look like? For instance, on my street, if, can I just imagine, what would happen if God's kingdom just came on my street today? What would that look like? What would, what would it look like if God's kingdom came into my, my, corporate, my corporate culture at work? And I can imagine some of those things, and I might even be able to give the world glimpses of those. Not, not perfect, of course, but imaginatively consider this is, this is what's missing. This is what we can bring. Salt and light. Individually, corporately, culturally. This is our identity as followers of Jesus. Salt and light being a counterculture for the common good. Let me give you one last thought on this passage. What is going to be the world's response to salt and light? Okay? Two responses. First response is positive. Verse 16. Take a look at verse 16. He's talking about light. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That as people watch our lives of mercy and sacrifice and justice and kindness, that they would see that. And for some of them go, I want to know more. I want to know about this God that you say you believe in. Because I I like what I'm seeing in you. Tell me about this Father of yours. That's a response uh, and we also have to acknowledge there's also a negative response, which comes right before this passage in verse 11. Take a look at verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. The other response will be negative. Um, salt heals, but salt stings, <laughs> right? Uh, light Attracts, but light exposes, and that's not always a fun experience. And so Jesus has always said, if you really follow me, the, some of the world is not going to be into what you're doing, and you're going to experience persecution. And I believe we're living in a time in our country where increasingly, if you hold to a historic, orthodox view of Scripture, you will experience greater persecution in our nation. That is, go- that is coming. That is on its way. And Jesus says, if that happens to you, don't whine about it. <laughs> Don't complain about it. Rejoice. That's how the world has treated many great men and women throughout the history of the world, the prophets. So that's, what's, that's what you can expect. So if, if you're listening both of those responses in people, you're probably on the right track, all that to say. If people are being blessed by you, if some people are having a hard time with you and you feel both those things in your life, you're probably on the right track. Let me encourage you this week. In light of salt and light, 
just to be asking the simple question as you go throughout your day, how can I bless those around me? Like as you go into work, as you come home, as you go to your children's sporting events, as you go to the grocery store, wherever you go, how can I bless people? I want to bring healing. I want to bring flavor. I want to bring light and life to this situation. Where are things, where do I see the brokenness? Where do I things t- see things tending towards decay and not wholeness? How can I bring wholeness? How can I bless? How can I love and serve? And of course, the deeper question than that is this. I just want to remind you this throughout this fall. The deeper question is, how do I become the kind of person who could actually bless people? <laughs> because we cannot muster up salt and light by our own willpower. We will, we will make that for about two hours, and then we'll resort to our old ways. The only way this happens is as we continue to pursue God. We continue to answer his call and be regularly filled up by him. Every day, reminded of his goodness, of his grace, of his sovereignty, of his truth, of his love, of his kindness, and be filled up and then go out into the world as children who know that they're loved, who are secure in their father's love. That's the only way we're going to bless those around us, which is to say, be a counterculture for the common good. Let's pray. Well, Father, I find it amazing that you actually call us salt and light. You don't just say we have the salt, uh, we have the light, or even we know the salt or we know the light, but we are the salt. We are the light. That is a high calling and is a beautiful privilege and a responsibility. And so my prayer is that you, you fill us up. That inner life that we talked about all summer, that you'd continue to fill us with your goodness and grace. And then send us out, that we might offer a bit of that to those around us and bless them in the process. Go before us this week, open doors of opportunity to love people, to serve them, to speak truth in love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.